Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 61, Generation Um. I'm Joey Lewandowski. <laughs> and I'm Mike Manzi. And we have Tobin Addington with us. And I am so, so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I mean, really, genuinely, you've done nothing but give us your time. <laughs> you've been kind to us. You've taught us things. It is like because of you that I'm as interested in film as I am. You've helped promote this stuff. I mean, where you're doing other things with us. And how do I repay you? (laughs) But being like, hey, can you watch this movie and then talk about it with us? Oh, God, you guys. Oh, God. It's hard to know where to begin. But yes, I don't hold you responsible for this. I hold the people who made this, who inflicted this movie upon us all responsible for it. But yes, this was a hard one, guys. This is uh, maybe the most challenging thing I've had to watch for you guys so far. In fact, not maybe. It is. It is the most challenging. Yeah, I think even even for me, I mean, there's been some rough stuff along the way. I mean, even Cowgirls Get the Blues had some merit to it, at least. But I had to watch that Will and Me thing. Me and Will? Me and Will. See, I don't even remember what it was, but it was terrible. Even worse, because it's not grammatically correct. <laughs> you know, Keanu's not even in that, I mean, which made it bad. But this, I mean, he's in this, you know, and that just makes it hurt even more. You know, I, I kind of gave him a pass because he's, he's only in one scene of Will and Me, but like he's in this whole thing. Yeah, he is. And I wrote down everything he does because I didn't know what else to write down about this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have in my notes at one point, at least he got two cupcakes. Like I, I keep kept writing things like that and between that and saying, like, I've seen student films made by undergraduates that are so much more accomplished than this. Or, you know, like my notes are full of sort of either ranting or, as you say, just sort of describing, oh, my God, he's just lying in bed now <laughs> waiting for the alarm clock to go off or something. Did he get a director's credit no. on this? My but like half, because half the movie is his footage. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He steals the camera, and then we see what he sees. That is just a sad excuse for padding a short film into a feature. I, I was really sort of feeling, because again, so so what, uh, 30 minutes into this movie, he stops to watch these like... Flash mob. This flash mob doing, like, dressed as cowboys, doing hula hoop dancing, and they're, and they're videotaping each other. And a guy sets down a video camera at the end, and then Keanu is just standing in the crowd, and he just picks up the camera and runs away. There's then this chase scene. And then he's, as you say, he's shooting a lot of the footage for the rest of the movie. Like, the movie becomes sort of a really bad version of Sex, Lies, and Videotape as he's videotaping these women in their apartment and asking them about their lives and, like, learning about their abusive history and on and on and on. And as I'm trying to come up with sort of some reading of this film, which is a fool's errand. But but as I was trying to do that, I was thinking, okay, so this is sort of like Keanu realizing he's in this terrible, terrible, god-awful movie and trying to take control somehow and saying, hey, let me just let me just take a camera and start to shoot some stuff. So in his mind thinking so that we have something to put on screen. I have no idea if that's if that's the case at all, but that's certainly it certainly felt that way. I have a, a quote from him about that. We'll get to it okay. later because I want to talk about the okay. movie okay. briefly. And then – so the way that I watch this movie is that I got about – how far in did I get? 15 minutes. And then I was like, OK, I need to watch this on one and a half times speed. And so I just – I still <laughs> could hear it. I could hear the line. So I was just like, I'm going to watch this the last hour 15 in like 40 minutes just because I, I can't deal with it. Yeah, good so the entire time while watching it, I was half paying attention and half trying to figure out what this movie was. So we'll get into that in a little bit, but let's actually cover the movie first. I mean, what, what, what little movie there is. 
Yeah, I mean, and by the end, what I've pieced together is he's basically a driver for two prostitutes, but you don't find that out until the very end. And the opening is just extremely annoying when they're talking about oh, shat shit, shit. shit and shat. And I'm like, well, yep. who shit this thing out? Who do I blame for this piece of shit? Like, right off the bat, it just starts out, like, really annoying and kind of maintains that for most of the film as well. Well, what's amazing is it doesn't even look like Keanu wants to be there. No. Like, he doesn't want to be in that car, and we're like, we don't want to be here either. Nobody wants to be where they are for this, except for maybe the girls, which they're, like, I guess, like, high-end call girls, right? Must be. And it was, and he's supposed to be having some sort of existential crisis, like a an angsty thing. And this reminds me of something that I'm, I'm often trying to tell my students, I know you guys have heard me say in the past, which is that you don't need to bore the audience to make us feel that the character's bored. Like, that you don't need to take us through the dullness. If the character's feeling it, you can show us that they're feeling dull, sort of bored and that the world around them is dull and find some way to make it interesting to watch. And boy, this movie fails that test completely from that first scene. Their shit-chat conversation in the... Uh, I'm writing down like, okay, this is what happens after, like, way, way after Tarantino where people think that they can still write like that and they really have nothing to say about anything and it just it's way the dialogue is way too cute and the actors are are not good enough to sustain it it's just awful like i knew i knew right from the beginning the kind of movie this was going to be a major issue i have is that a lot of it feels like it's in real time (laughs) and that just adds to it trying to feel real but coming across more fake than real like it starts to feel really forced because it lingers like really long on a lot of stuff and that becomes very boring when you're trying to say like this is a very boring person or he's having you know like this this isn't a very we're not they're not leading very interesting lives and we're trying to highlight that like that's not helpful i actually started laughing out loud when there's a shot of Keanu eating an entire cupcake. Mm-hmm. Like, that is insane. Like, I understand opening shot, you want a long take of them in the car, you know, yelling at each other, whatever, what have you. But then to have, like, another shot of him just, like, ordering a cup of coffee and, like, actually having, like, the waitress go get it and, like, bring it to him and him put the sugar in and her come back. Like, it, it just got on my nerve. There's a scene in a bar... I, I don't have a real good memory now of exactly where it comes, but somewhere <laughs> in the first half of the movie, there's a scene in a bar and you have the two women, one is a brunette and the blonde. I, I never got their names. I, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't paying that much attention. Their names are Violet and I Mia. I never heard those names in the movie. And Keanu's name is John, which I mean, I, I okay, sure. John Wick, John Constantine. <laughs> yep. So they're, so they're in this bar and the dark haired woman, the brunette is way overacting. Like she's, she's crazy. She's the wacky one, right? Like the blonde one is the, is the calm one. And I can't overstate how, how little happens in this movie. I have to say, you cannot overstate that no one does anything in this movie. Okay. So they're at this bar and, and she is, the brunette is overacting so badly that I start to feel bad for her. And it gets me to think that so, so actors who are given material this thin, they have sort of two choices. They can either sort of fade to beige and like just blend in entirely, or they can like way overdo it because they're grasping for something to do, for something to stand out. And they completely felt that way. Like, were you guys embarrassed for her? I felt, I felt embarrassed for her in that scene. I felt bad for Keanu, uh, to be honest with you. But yeah, the acting is bad. Like that's there's just no. If it, I don't even feel like the other girl's all that great, or the other the only other actor, Keanu's like cousin roommate guy. Or, yeah, there's just nothing to really go for here. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm in full agreement. 
Here's a list of things that Keanu does in this movie. <laughs> good, good. He drives a car. He eats a cupcake uncomfortably close to the camera. He picks up a busted TV from next to a fire hydrant and brings it home. He yells for Super Cat and then finds Super Cat and then scares it off. He opens a birthday card from his parents and he gets a check for $75 with a note on it that says medication with a smiley face. He talks to his idiot roommate and then ties his shoes for what seems like forever. He yells at one of these two call girls in the bar and then gets blown by that girl in the bar. And then she burps at the end? Okay. They come back and one says that was quick and the other one says not quick efficient. All right. And then he uses the word retarded. Which I was like, okay, it's it's 2012 when this movie comes out, so, mm-hmm. all right. He has a, a quippy line about, like, how some... I guess he's talking to his, his idiot roommate about something, how it runs in the family. He's like, I wish rent ran in the family. <laughs> then he takes a subway ride to a diner, and that's where he meets up with Daniel Sunyata, who's from Rescue Me, and he's from Graceland, and he's like... I, th- I mean, Keanu's too good for this, but, like, Keanu's also been bad in a lot of things. But, like, Daniel Sunyata, the guy he meets in the diner, is way too good of an actor to be, like, in this movie. But luckily, he's only in, like, one scene, and he has one line with, like, Obama, baby, yes, we can. Keanu gets deep about locks, and this is when he's like, maybe you just get to a point where your disappointment in yourself becomes so much bigger than your parents' disappointment in you. And then what was amazing, which I forgot about until I found out this note, is when he's talking to Daniel Sunyata in the diner, he says, if feels like a compromise and he looks and Daniel Sunyata looks at the waitress and says I'd like to compromise that yes and I I was like a cage club crossover the cage code for sleeping with someone yep and then Keanu says she's good with ketchup too because he had asked her for ketchup and she gave him ketchup so sex question mark can I say yeah she wanted him can I I interject very quickly here that that waitress plays Saul Berenson's wife on Homeland and has done a number of other things. She's very good. And it's... She's the best thing in the movie. It, you could tell, like, she's trying to come on to Keanu and he's just too dense to You can tell she knows what she's doing as an actor. Because this is a very different part than she's played in a lot of the other things that I've seen. Anyway, I just have to interject. There are good people in this movie, but most of them have nothing to say or <laughs> no lines anyway. Anyway, go ahead. So keep going. Then he steals the camcorder, like we talked about, and runs away from some hula hoopers. Oh, can I, can I just say, it's like, yeah. okay, so at that flash mob, he's standing next to some guy who I only can assume is a tourist by the end of the sequence because the actual words come out of his mouth, only in New York. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, you got to be shitting yeah, me. Yeah. Then he films some skateboard kids and nature and dogs and himself. Then he gets a call from his mom. Then he films one of the call girls dancing in her underwear. Then he films a call girl in the shower, but we see no nudity there. Then he films a pillow and some other things in the living room. Then he goes and pays for a coffee at like a bodega and steals gum in like a weird kind of move. Did you notice that? Like he like pays for the coffee and as the guy turns up with the money in the register or whatever, he just like grabs a pack of gum and puts it in his pocket. He's a klepto. I guess. Then he films one of the call girls peeing and then I stop taking notes. And then they just drive to the Sheridan where they go. Yes. To like the- that, I think, that, yeah, that's the last thing he films, I think. Yeah, but then they go to the Sheridan. Yeah, I have notes about that. But I think that was my end of like Keanu films things. Other words that came out of person's mouth in this movie, God is dead. I mean, like, yeah. I was blown wow. away by how profound I mean, that moment became. <laughs> it, make, it makes the whole movie. I'm going to have that tattooed on myself. This movie's proof, right, that God is dead. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, true. <laughs> he, he wouldn't allow this. Yeah, true. I don't feel. Exactly. Exactly. There's another thing Keanu says at one point when he has the camera on with the with the two women back in the apartment. He says, and this is a quote, he says, hey, maybe try to say something interesting, <laughs> which felt like an echo of, of what I was feeling at the time. 
Yeah. I don't know if it's that scene or not. One of them says, no, we make brilliant fucking actresses. And I was like, what is going... Like, what? They're trying to be act. I don't... It's... Ooh, boy. Okay, so here's the other thing. I think it's in that scene where he says, say something interesting, where they're talking about the men they've had sex with, and Keanu asks one of them, like, do you know all of their names? And, like, no, she's a call girl. Like, why would she know the 200 names? Did you know she was a call... They were call girls? I knew because I looked on Wikipedia, because I was looking everywhere but the the screen. Yeah. I didn't know. I just assumed she was promiscuous and stuff because of her attitude. She but like, like, but even if you don't know person. that at that point, like the fact that Kiana knows it at that point, why would he ask her? Yeah, that's a good point. We don't know necessarily, but he knows. So why is he like slut shaming her when he's ostensibly like okay enough with their careers to drive them around? Like, it's not like he's like in love with them and like wishes they had something else to do. He's just there, and like he's even talking about to his buddies, like, yeah, I think I'm gonna call him up and have him come over, right? It seems like he's totally okay with this. Like, why is he slut shaming? He, he because because they don't know what they're doing scene to scene, let alone character to character. Like, they have no clue what's like the actors, the script, that none of it. None of it matters. This movie is an insult to the audience. This movie is a big fucking middle finger to the audience. This is a this is a complete not just waste of time. Like I resent this movie for existing. And and I and it's because you go down any one of these rabbit holes and it means nothing. God may or may not be dead, but this movie is absolutely DOA. It's it's trying to be profound at times. It's trying to be whimsical at times. I think it thinks it's being sort of avant-garde and cheeky at times. It is abysmal. This is an abysmal movie. It, it feels like it got the wrong directions on how to do like a dogma film or a mumblecore movie, you know? Like it looked up like on the internet on some... Yeah site like what are the rules to and just completely fucked it up um there's just no interest here Uh, okay another kind of just profound moment was when uh didn't keanu say what is friend at some point which oh i stopped i stopped listening (laughs) okay so he actually says like what is friend and like that kind of made me question his intelligence like was you know maybe he has some kind of like injury that we don't know about or anything like that because he does he does really seem to be a few cards short of a deck here yeah they want this to be profound they want there to be profound questions about mental illness about slut shaming about prostitution about abuse childhood sexual abuse i think it wants to sort of think that it's about all these all these things and it's it's not it is a badly shot terribly written awfully acted waste of everyone's time but how do you really (laughs) i've been holding back so there is one real like i think the craziest thing in this movie is this movie came out in 2012 the call girls go to the sheridan to get banged by everybody in that room and they whip out a gigantic credit card machine (laughs) I was like, is Square Reader not a thing? Like, was that not a thing yet? And I looked up, and Square came out in 2009. So, like, why are these girls not modern call girls where they have, like, an iPhone and, like, a Square Reader and just, like, swipe the, swipe the card? Like, why are they bringing around something that like, looks like it's out of, like, a 90s convenience store? I bet because they... Or is that just because, like, that's all they can find? They, did they maybe shoot the movie in 2009 and it took three years to get it, at, to get it released? I don't think <laughs> so. That was the first thing they shot, and they're like, all right, we're committed to that ending. I could imagine it it taking a while to find someone with the lunacy to distribute this movie. So that's all the notes that I have on the movie. So what what we can talk about now, and I think this maybe answers that question. I think it could have been shot before 2012. 
I don't think it was shot before 2009, okay. though. Well, when were flash mobs a thing? Because flash mobs seem to be like the filmmakers, they were wandering around the city improving and getting shots, and yeah. they came across a flash mob, and they were like, oh, let's like immortalize this on camera, and we'll be the first to have it in our film. Yeah. And then, then that Justin Timberlake movie with Mila Kunis came out, and they like, <laughs> had a big flash mob in that movie. But I wonder what time that was, because that could be a little clue. I don't know. I honestly, I have no idea. But I was trying to Google why the hell is Keanu Reeves in this movie, and I found an interview that he did around this time. I have a theory. Okay, go ahead. Okay, yeah, real quick. Yeah, why don't you guys yeah, both yeah, guess yeah, why guess. he's in this movie? Okay, yeah. extortion. <laughs> it happened before. It happened I think once, it happened it again. Yep. It happened with The Watcher, where he yep. had like a verbal agreement and was being like forced. Into and then he made the movie. Matrix. Yep. And then, yep. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. He was extorted again. Okay. My guess is that it has something to do. We know he's a generous guy, right? This is the guy who gives away whatever X percentage of his yes. profits mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. Matrix and on and on. You, you guys have been over this. My guess is that someone involved, maybe it's the director, maybe it's the producer, maybe it's one of the actors. I don't know. See, he had sort of befriended somebody. If you ever need me for something, and they said, yeah, I need you for this thing. And they talked a game about what it was going to be. It's going to be indie. It's going to be edgy. It's going to be an update of the you know sort of mumblecore thing, but with older actors and blah 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 whatever. That that it was out of his out of a spirit of generosity. That's my guess. If only those both make sense. But if only it was as interesting as that. So in this interview, the person says the que- the question is, how did you get involved in this film? We haven't seen you in a while. I found out about this script when I was making Henry's Crime, which is the last movie we did, which is with him and Vera Farmiga, which was two years earlier, I think, 2010. And he says, I found out about this script when I was making Henry's Crime. The producer, Alison Palmer, was working on that picture, and she showed me a script, and I was like, this is amazing. After that, I've been away a couple of years working on another movie, so that's why I haven't been around. I also did a documentary called Side by Side that took some time, and I was working on 47 Rona, which hasn't come out yet, and I was directing a film called Man of Tai Chi. So basically, just a producer on the last movie he did, which was Bland, showed him a script, and he loved it, and he just did this movie. He chose this movie. God. I had my notes here. There can't be a script to this movie because nobody would read this script and say, yes, let's make this movie. It's amazing. Wow. I can't believe that either. It feels entirely improv by people that have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. So then the next question in this interview is, what is the title, Generation Um, because it's, it's stylized Generation Um Ellipsis, mean? I, I hate all these quotes so much. I hate this whole interview so much. <laughs> it's not just a decade generation or something like that. It's X. It's Y. It's now. It's the past. If anything, it's all about the moment. And in this moment, there's an ellipsis, there's an um, and there's the word generation. And I think it's asking a question. It's asking for interpretation, which is kind of a connection. And I think the characters in this film are seeking to connect, but are damaged and have circumstance. Yeah, delusional. They, what does that no, mean? They don't know what they're... No, no. They, this is backfilling. Right. He's just he's talking in circles, just trying to sell the picture, I think, at that point. I don't think he really knows what he's saying. I have no idea what he's saying. Yeah. Then the next, <laughs> the next question is, what was it like to play a director and be one at the same time? John gets to ask a couple of questions, but he's dealing with some pretty wild lions in these two ladies. I think that's one of the problems. He has one intention, and the character, Violet, says, let's make this a show. It's my show. And John says, okay, so what is your show? What is friendship? He goes on an expedition investigating their apartment. 
as we were acting a scene, another part of me was like, okay, this is a really important line for this character, so make sure the headroom's okay. Oh, God. So, so he was concerned about composing the shot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then, I mean, if you're in his shoes and, like, you see this is going on, like, I can see a world where the script is interesting and, like, it's about, like you like you guys were saying, it's mumblecore, it's older. Found it's, footage. You know, sort of an age-shifted, mm-hmm. yeah. coming-of-age story, sort of. Like, there's things here that, like, you could sell, I think, and be good. And maybe the script was good. I don't know. But I don't, I, don't, I mean, whatever it was did not right, translate to right, the screen. But I can see him being locked into this movie as a contract and being like, oh, God, like, what do I do? And then just his job in the scene is to be filmed filming these girls. And I can see him, like, I can see myself in that role just being like, oh, I'm just going to, like, make this look as good as I can because I know the rest of this isn't going to look good. So I can see that, but like, oh god. Well, what's that's what's what's so frustrating is there's stuff like girlfriend experience type stuff going on here, you know, that actually works in certain films, and that's what's bothering me is like there with a whole kind of overhaul, the premise isn't all necessarily that bad per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying like the pimp has to pick up a video camera and film their lives or anything, but the idea that the driver, not the pimp, but like the driver is like sort of coincidentally like friends with the call girls too and has to ride the line of friendship and business with them like is kind of interesting it's just that this isn't that like it doesn't it's not here any like they don't focus on that it's just like look how sexy we are and look how we have nothing to do all day and all that kind of stuff i mean as much as i'd love to watch keanu eat a cupcake what is that you know that's that's not that's not a scene in a movie yeah it's not a scene in a movie I have one more question from that interview. There were a couple questions that were just really boring that I didn't include, but the last question in that interview, the question is, he has that line about being a failure. You've had so much success. How do you relate to a line like that? And he says, oh, well, we all feel our disappointments, don't we? Somewhere at some point, life is full of strife. No, I could completely relate to some of that. And that's how the interview ended. Yeah, this is probably one of those disappointments you had to deal with. (laughs) So I have a whole second part to my research. There's a lot more to come, but this movie has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes after 15 reviews. A reviewer at Variety called it, quote, a slap-together sub-mumblecore exercise that at times suggests a feature-length expansion of the 2010's sad Keanu Mm -hmm. meme. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, that's brilliant. And then a reviewer for the New York Times said something similar to what Tobin said earlier, but of a different note. He said, just because the characters waste their time doesn't mean you should waste yours watching them circle the drain. I still couldn't believe it was the character's birthday. Like, why? Well, what was, what was that movie that we had the birthday? Was it was the Sorcerer's Apprentice that we were complaining about? Where it was, I know it was his birthday in that. There are just other times where, like, the movie's like, hey, it's his birthday. Like, okay, Why? Yeah, that Stephen Holden review from the New York Times goes on to say, what does it add up to? Um, I have no idea and don't really care. <laughs> and we should say, too, that when this title comes up on the screen, it's lowercase generation, capital U, um, dot, dot, dot. There's an ellipse at the end of it. Like it is, you, it does not get more pretentious than, than the way that That this leads me perfectly into my second half of the research which I was trying to figure out, who is this guy who directed this yeah, movie? Good. His name is Mark Mann, M-A-N-N, Mark L. Mann, if you want to go to his website. His website is 
marklman.com. His email address is mandigital at aol.com in case you want to email oh, wow. him thoughts about this film. Wow. Putting him on blast. <laughs> he has two director's credits. He's got this movie. He's got a documentary called Finishing Heaven, which, believe me when I tell you, we're going to learn all about Finishing Heaven. So I went to marklman.com. Here's a write-up verbatim. Like his website's not big and he's got a lot of words, like a lot of paragraphs repeated in multiple places. He's got a section about shooting and it got a section about writing and a section about editing, but they're the same two projects for all of them. So it's sort of like, hey, I'm going to talk about this generally and then like add a different sentence at the top. And so like, it's basically the same stuff over and over on a really bare looking Squarespace website. So here's the first paragraph. Emmy-nominated writer-director Mark L. Mann wrote and directed Generation Um, starring Keanu Reeves, Bojana Novakovic, and Adelaide Clemens. An existential day-in-the-life portrait of three friends trying to find light in the darker aspects of their New York City, quote, family of circumstance, the feature-length narrative had its U.S. theatrical premiere in 2013. Then this next part is my favorite thing maybe I've ever seen <laughs> anywhere. Enjoyed a week as the 20th most rented DVD in America and continues to premiere worldwide, most recently in Russia, Brazil, Australia, England, <laughs> Japan, and throughout Latin and South America. Oh my so I God. like that he's like, look at all these countries that my movie is playing in. And do you remember that one week when 19 other movies were rented more than this one, but we still got like 30 rentals? Do you remember that week? Unbelievable. Sad, sad. By the way, this is not listed on Box Office Mojo, and there's no trivia on IMDb, so this movie basically does not exist. Did it Did it get a theatrical release? Like, is that why it was... It's Says debuted at twenty whatever because it, it came out on it, DVD. It would, and... it would have to have all the, to have the New York Times review it. Oh. It was in theaters. Oh man, I don't feel as bad knowing that someone who works at the New York Times also. <laughs> <had to> watch <laughs> this. So here are two more paragraphs from his website. This is about Generation Um. The experimental narrative feature was released theatrically in New York City and Los Angeles and went on to spend one week as the 20th most rented DVD in America, having sold in almost every territory worldwide. And I'm assuming not to distributors, I'm assuming like somebody bought a DVD <laughs> around the <laughs> It continues to premiere and resurface theatrically, digitally, on cable and DVD in countries around the globe. You could say that about every movie. Of course, but this is, he's <laughs> proud of this. And then here's the final paragraph about who is Mark Elman. Mann previously directed Finishing Heaven, a feature-length documentary acquired by HBO, which is actually pretty cool. I haven't seen it. I'm just saying that the fact that it was acquired <laughs> yeah. is pretty cool. Finishing Heaven was nominated for a 2010 Emmy in the Outstanding Arts and Culture Programming category. The darkly comic, heartbreaking story of a 59-year-old man's continuing struggle to finish a film he began 40 years ago as an undergrad at NYU, premiered at the Los Angeles Film Festival, went on to be released theatrically in New York City and Los Angeles, and had its broadcast premiere on HBO. Currently, Mann is co-directing slash producing a documentary feature, developing his next feature-length narrative, and working on various commercial projects. So he's keeping busy. You could say that. Unreal. And then he, he also has a, a blog on his website. If you want to go to marklman.com slash blog, there's three blog posts. And this is what led me into this topic. Imagine to say all the font is Courier New. That's all black background, gray, white text. And if you want to see sporadic capitalization and most things in lowercase and artistic punctuation, just like this title. Oh, God. 
Go to the oh, blog. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was where my research came to an end because the movie ended and I was like, I'm done forever. Wow. Dad, you, you went above yeah, and beyond, man. my friend. Really if I do say. like, though, that because we made Tobin watch this movie, Mark L. Mann can now say that his DVD sold in Montana. Oh, yeah. I bought it from Amazon Streaming, so I did buy it. I did buy it, but I did not buy it in a hard copy. I do not have to put this on my shelf. It will forever be in my bought queue through Amazon streaming, but not on my shelf. What's nice about Amazon is that you can actually you can you'll own that, but you can delete it. From, oh, I can <laughs> actually have like yeah, you could delete it from like your actual library list, so it won't show I'm up. I'm going to do that. There you go. Yeah, and I have fully run out of things to say about this movie. It's bad. It's just bad. You know, the, here's the, here's the one redeeming i'm always trying to find the redeeming in the, so let me let, let's we can yeah let's play that game for for a minute here, here's here's what it is the next time that i am trying to convince a student of mine that the thing that they've written is not what they think it is i think i might show them a piece of this movie <laughs> because i think it might make some of that clear i didn't know how long it was i finished a chunk of this movie and i had to stop it this was like three or four days ago i said i can't do this right now this is just really making me angry. So I stopped it, and I, and I thought, okay, I'm at least halfway. I was 15 minutes into the movie. Yep, that's when I started doing the fast forward, because it was, it's that same point that broke it me. It was like, this movie is not going to change, right? If the, if the movie teaches you how to watch it, if the movie teaches you how it's going to be in the first 10, 15 minutes, this completely does that. It does not significantly change after that. So I think there, there's, there's, there's a real possible educational benefit in watching the first 15 minutes of this movie, not unlike the way they used to do Driver's where they'd make you watch all the car crash videos and stuff and like watch people people get mangled on the highway. This could be a version of that, a version therapy. Now, I just think it's a testament to Keanu's status that he survived this. Like that you could <laughs> do something like this in 2012 and come out the other end. And no like, one I mean, saw it. Well, yeah, technically no one saw it, but he did it. It's out there. Like people can see it now, and it's it's on his resume. I don't know anyone else in this movie. Apparently, although they've been but, in a lot I of mean, stuff, I, the blonde woman has, I think has had a lot of credits. I've seen both of them in two other movies, but they've both been in like fifteen or twenty things. Which I mean, I don't know how big you know. Like I don't know. Like that doesn't mean anything. Like you could be in like a lot of yeah. small things that like your friends make. The blonde was in Great Gatsby. She was in X Men Origins Wolverine. She was in the Silent Hill movie. She's on Rectify. She was on Rectify. That's what I think I know her from. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's Tommy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so checked out of this movie that I didn't even realize that. <laughs> yeah, it'll do it to you. That's what it does. <laughs> I think Tobin has it absolutely right. The only thing this is really good for is like a learning tool, like what not to do. Because she's great. She's great on Rectify. Yeah, she's been really good. Like at everything stuff. about Rectify is perfect. Yeah. And this is just, oh boy. And the other one was in Drag Me to Hell. She was in Devil. It looks like she mostly does sort of like horror-ish things, kind of. So this isn't in her wheelhouse either. No. They're both Australian. Right. right. Well, they both grew up in Australia. She's Serbian, Bojana, Bojana. They've so. done other things since together, too. I, I, Again, who knows how this movie came together? Like, I sort of don't want to know in real concrete terms exactly how it all happened. And But, oh, God, it would be kind of fascinating. No, I take it back. It would not be fascinating. I never want to think about this movie ever again. No one ever mentioned it. I mean, when we release this podcast, I will tweet about it and send people to this. But then I, then I never want to talk about this movie or think about this movie again. That's totally fair. I feel like a key connection, this might be like a precursor to Knock Knock, where he is also, it's just Keanu and two girls. I haven't seen that movie, but I've seen, I have the DVD, I've seen the cover and stuff, so. 
So that's not good, <laughs> but Eli Roth made it, so it looks beautiful. It's got a competent story. I'm always willing to watch his work. I mean, he's got the guy that always just piques my interest. I, found, I actually like him as an actor. I think in Glorious Bastards, he's one of the better bastards in that movie. See what but he but does that, that movie, compared to this movie, like that's Citizen Kane. <laughs> oh, boy, you guys. I mean, there's obviously nothing else that I have to say about this just because there's nothing to say about it. The sound mix is terrible on this movie. I don't know if you guys had the experience. I had to turn it like way, way, way up. And then I, I mean, it was just terribly, terribly mixed. There's <laughs> on a technical level. And again, I think they were, they thought they were could sort of hide in the mumblecore aesthetic, but this is, this does not hold a candle to any true mumblecore film that I've ever seen. Honest to God, guys, don't watch, don't watch this movie. <laughs> There's nothing. I've seen bad, like Joe Swanberg movies because he, he makes like two movies a year. And so I've seen like 15 of his yeah. movies and some of his stuff is bad and like not well made, but like it's still Way better. Way than better. This, than this is just. It's way better. There's than nothing this. here redeeming. Right, right. You know what this reminded me of that I really actually liked. That was really good. The movie I had to watch, Joey, with Naomi Watts, that Dog Star was in. Ellie Parker. Ellie Parker. Okay, so like that movie. Go watch that. That does what this is I feel like thinks it's trying to do <laughs> like that is shot on digital video it's basically just Naomi Watts two days in the life of a struggling actress you know she uses her own car her own clothes everything is just they use what they have kind of thing going on it's very experimental but it worked really well because it's very centered and focused on this one character and she's great Naomi Watts is just great in it and she shines so yeah it's really it was watching this going okay like this is in that same it's it thinks it's in that same genre but it's just it doesn't it's doing it wrong it's just got it's just got it backwards mm -hmm. oh you know what we forgot to talk about is how they turn the camera on Keanu in the credits oh <gasps> yes that changes everything <laughs> I don't even remember what they discussed but all I know is they say where's that cat and that's like the last line in the movie, I think. So, Supercat. Long live Supercat. Supercat, Supercat. You're my big black Supercat. With the big water bike. Watch out. Here comes the Supercat. Yeah, the Supercat song is pretty good. That's about it. And him eating a cupcake, like, I'd rather, I think, I, you know, I told you guys, I'd rather just watch him eating a whole box of cupcakes for 90 minutes than watch this again. Uh, agreed. That would be more agreed. enlightening. <laughs> Maybe this was like a Zen experience for him. Because we know how into meditation and religion and centering oneself he is. So, like... Maybe this is an exercise, like, if I can get through this, I can get through <laughs> Like, I could see you wanting to do something like this as an exercise, but you don't publicly release exercises, right? Like, those are things that you keep to learn from and just, like, show your friends and just you do it for the experience. If you're doing an exercise and you get Keanu Reeves in your exercise, you're telling me that you're not going to put that out into the world? No, yeah. I mean, but I'm going to make sure <laughs> it's releasable. Like, I'm not going to put this out into the world. I'm not going to put Keanu through this. Like, I hopefully will have the sense as a filmmaker to make better choices than this. Look, nobody sets out to make a bad movie. 
and I, and you 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 know as well as I do that the people behind this movie were thinking they were really making something that they really were saying something and it, they just completely missed the mark. I think they still think they said something. I really do. I think they think that we don't get it. And you know what? Fine. I don't get it. If you want to believe that, that's that's totally fine. I just I just never want to see it again. I think I get it, but I just don't care by the end and the way that they're trying to get their point across. Like I get it. I just it's it's annoying. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. But yeah, I think we've we've done run out of things to talk about for Generation Um, which I, I felt like we talked about it longer than I thought we would, but I also knew that we were going to really really dig into this one. <laughs> I mean, luckily, Toby, you'll be back for uh, the Chinese lawyer movie, The Whole Truth, so... You know, after having this to compare it to, like, where does this rank for you guys in... Because I know there's been, there's been... Oh, this is okay, the worst. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think this is this is probably this is the, the, the hardest set, right? It. This is the hardest thing to set through. Yeah, and like after this, it's like things like even Calgary get the blues. I have a whole new perspective <laughs> on what was going on there, you know. And when Gus Van Sant tries to experiment, like okay, um, well, he yeah. actually is saying some. Maybe I don't understand, you know. Like he's on a level I might not be getting. That I will give him, you know. With that movie, I might give that a second chance. Or, and like, what's crazy is that like Cage was in a lot of bad VOD stuff, but like nothing he did is as bad as this. Yeah, everything was at least coherent. This is just below professional grade. Like with Gus Van Sant, it might be an experiment that, that goes horribly wrong. I mean, you know, you see Psycho and you you sort of like, ah, I don't, this should never have happened. But it's beautiful to look at and it's it's competently shot and it's, you know, they're giving, they're giving cohesive performances even if they're sort of shadows of the earlier versions or it's pantomime or whatever. You're at least seeing something that's, that's sort of concrete in some way. This is just totally aimless and empty and it thinks it's doing things that's not and if there's an experiment to this they have no idea what they're I don't maybe not even what they're aiming for right that there's like there's this thing that happens when people make their make early movies like especially when you're young and I know I did this like part of the thrill is just that you've made a moving picture like you you cut three shots together and you're like oh my god I made this thing that looks like reality and and the goal for a filmmaker is to progress past that so you can see things dispassionately with the eye of an audience who doesn't know you, who doesn't love you, who isn't blinded by all the things that you thought you were making. This movie does not do that. They still seem to be completely blinded by what they thought they were getting and have no idea that what they're actually getting is so, from a technical level, a story level, is so subpar that it's more painful to watch than than anything else. On the bright side... (laughs) With all of that said, and that's all 100% accurate, we have, in theory, a potential run of four decent movies. Next up is Man of Tai Chi, which is the movie that he directed. Then we have 47 Ronin, which really looking forward to is that. crazy. And, like, that's a movie that costs $250 million to make. So even if it's bad, it's a beautiful failure. I, yeah, I remember the trailers for that and, like, just weird, crazy shit going on, so I can't wait. Then we have John Wick, and then we have the aforementioned Knock Knock. So, we have four movies that are gonna be not great. I mean, John Wick is obviously great, but, like, they're not necessarily great across the board, but they're all professionally made. And then there's Exposed, which is bad. But it's well-made bad. Like, it's just boring. And then we get into, like, his his sort of Keanu-sance with the Neon Demon and John Wick Chapter 2 and the Bad Batch, and those are gonna be good. So, we are, I think potentially, maybe, out of the darkness. You see a light at the end of the tunnel here, you're telling me. Well, we're basically out of the tunnel completely. But, like, yeah, we, we, we see a light at the end of the tunnel. I feel like we were in a, like, buried alive in a coffin for a little <laughs> while. And, like, now we're out of that and we're digging through, like, the six feet. And we're seeing, you know, we're like, 
an extra foot from the surface, but we're just about to pull ourselves out of the ground and uh, and get on with this. But I can't wait to see how Keanu directs Man of Tai Chi. Like that's I'm really looking well, forward. Well, to Well, we that. saw that, director Keanu in this movie, so I mean, yeah, I can I mean, only hope it's this good. <laughs> <laughs> but that'll be cool. Like that that was a cool coincidence that we came across. Like Cage directed a movie I never even knew about when he directed Sunny, and Keanu directed a movie. So that that's pretty cool. That connection. So looking forward to that. Well, thank you so much, Tobin. I, again, from both of us, we're so, so sorry. <laughs> it's all right. This, the conversation, as always, has been fun and entertaining and cathartic. And so cathartic. you would say go out and see this movie, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Go go buy this movie today. Yeah. Give Mark Elman all of your money. <laughs> so for all things Keanu Club, literally every better movie that he's ever done, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter and see everything that we've done for this show, for every other show, and find out what's coming next. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Tobin Addington, and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. Here comes the super cat.